Hey, hockey moms, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Blue Line Hockey Club. And now a word from tonight's sponsor. This episode brought to you by 2-4 Hockey. 2-4 Hockey represents a hockey culture, a culture that defines a part of who you are each and every day. We stand for the passion, the dedication, and the deep-rooted love we all have for the game of hockey. No matter how big or how small, we represent anyone who lives the game of hockey in some way each and every day. Whether you are a new player developing a love for the game, an old veteran who has been playing the game their whole life, a young up-and-comer, or someone who simply enjoys watching the game, this is what we are about. That's what 2-4 Hockey stands for, and our apparel represents anyone with hockey on their mind 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Wear the culture. Blue Line Hockey Club, official sponsor with 2-4 Hockey now. If you want to get on to 2-4Hockey.us or 2-4Hockey.ca, use promo code 09BLHC150 OFF. One more time, 09BLHC150 OFF. Go to 2-4Hockey.us or 2-4Hockey.ca. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Blue Line Hockey Club. Episode 27, we have the usual suspects with us tonight. We have Patrick Uncle Lardy Sullivan. What's up, Patrick? Aloha. Patrick is our producer. And we also have Derek Detrain. He too. Derek is an all-around sports guru and research guy. Derek coming in from Canton, New York. What's up, Derek? What's up, sweetos? And our nerd on staff, Robbie Pete Peters. Hey, how you doing, man? And your host tonight, Mark the Doctor Morley. Oh, Doctor. A very special guest with us tonight. We have uh, Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr with us. Grant, how are you? Doing good, thanks. Well, thanks for coming on, Grant. We really appreciate it, taking the time to speak to the Blue Line tonight. And uh, are you up in Canada tonight? Actually, no, I'm down in Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Way better. <laughs> so is, that, a little is, that your is that your residence now? It is. Perfect. Nice. Easier to play golf in Palm Springs than it is uh, uh, out in Western Canada, I'm sure, in the wintertime. It is at this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, get into a little bit of why we have you on tonight. We want to talk a little bit about the making of cocoa. And uh, if you want to just give us a little background of you know, how this got started and if this was something that you came up with or somebody... Uh, producer came to you and had the idea, or uh, it was just kind of an original idea that you had? I wish I could take credit for it, but it wasn't my idea. So now a friend of mine that's a producer that does a lot of stuff for the Oilers and such came up with the idea, and he's been trying to talk me into it for the last couple of years, and we finally said yes. So we've kind of got a chance to relive my life a second time. Perfect. Was it, I know it's kind of... Um, you know, everything's talked about in your career, the good and the bad and the ugly. And was it kind of hard for you to commit to that and actually put everything on the line and put it out to the public of, uh, you know, your life story? Actually, no, it's not that bad. I mean, if you look at it, it's all, it's been in the newspaper at some point or other all along. The yeah. So it wasn't that hard <laughs> to do it. Plus, I know what the outcome is and I know the final ending. So yeah. that makes life a lot easier. What's probably frustrating is there's probably a whole ton of, of good that gets overlooked for, for some of the negative. I know I can speak for uh, from personal experience there. But for all of us. That's <laughs> yeah, part of life. I mean, sometimes a lot of people like to look at the negative instead of the positive, but I'm always, I've am always i always been kind of a glass half full guy. So sure. I think the, posit the positive was great. I mean, that's the best part of it all. And the fact that there's some negative in there and positive afterwards it all works. And I think that's how you want life to work is you have to live your life. And at times there's going to be some bumps on the road. If you come out the other side of the bumps with a positive attitude and still have some success and do some good things, then it's worthwhile. Amen. 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 Right. right. Speaking of bumps, um, Grant, uh, we were talking earlier before uh, um, we all got on and just your equipment and uh, back in that era was so, you know, it wasn't, yeah, different kind of uh, equipment, not as much padding. Was there a lot of bumps in into that helmet that you had, the mask, like the Cujo mask? What was it like taking a <laughs> shot off that? Well, the original mask I started with, it didn't do a whole <laughs> lot other than you didn't get cut. It was still like getting hit in the face. It's just you didn't get cut with it, so it hurt. <laughs> but 
Yeah, the, the equipment was a little heavy back in the day, so you wore less of it. And yeah, if you didn't catch the puck, they'd hit places that take a little bite out of you once in a while. What was it like to take a puck off the mat? Not really good. I mean, that's why you <laughs> hope your hands were really good. I mean, I, you only get it maybe once or twice a year, but it's enough to get your attention. My, my first shot of the game is usually right around, you know, the head area. <laughs> Just there, there's a lot of guys that like that theory. <laughs> so that's not, not goaltenders, or uh, I played with a lot of guys that the, the first shot always goes by the ears. It always gets the goalie's attention. Yeah, yeah. And, you try and convince them that you want to go high, and as he cheats a little bit high, they slide it low. Start firing at his feet, yeah. So, Grant, you're obviously one of the uh, the best ever play in the NHL, and um, you know what do you think about the difference in the styles? How Val, you know, things have changed as far as the butterfly goalies and you know the equipment changes, and you know, do you think these these players today and these goalies today have an advantage over the goalies that played in the late '80s and '90s as far as um, you know, equipment. Do you think if you played that way with that that different style with butterfly type techniques, that would there would have been an advantage for you, or did you like being more of a you know more mo- mobile stand up type goalie? I myself like to be mobile. I mean, if you look at the equipment the guys wear today, there's a reason they're butterfly goalies. Nothing hurts, and I think yep. that's the biggest thing. Is the equipment got lighter, it got bigger. Back when we played, the equipment was heavier. And there wasn't quite as much protection, so you weren't going to butterfly because things actually hurt. So you had to play a little bit differently. I'm being more athletic. And, and as it's gotten lighter, guys are wearing it bigger, which, as well, they should. If you're going to make it light enough that they can wear it bigger, players take advantage of every chance they get. Goalies should do the same thing. Goalies are a lot bigger now, too. Most of the goalies in the league are over six foot tall. So that's right, changed. The average well. size now is about six three, so that's grown a little bit, too. So bigger yeah. goalies, bigger equipment. Yeah, Grant, talk, talk about, too, I mean, you don't see uh, goalies in this day and age playing, you know, close to a full season or anything like that. And I know I think you hold either the record or close to the record or the most games played in the regular season. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen anymore. What, what was that like? What kind of toll did that take on your body? I really enjoyed it. I mean, you prepare to play every night anyway, and you got to put the equipment on. So my theory was if I have to prepare put the gear on, I'd like to play. Sure. And yeah, your body your body gets banged up over the course of a year, and you find a way to play through some bumps and dings and that sort of thing. But at the same time, you enjoy playing, and that's that's what you want, especially if you can have a good, successful year at it. If you're successful and you're playing well, then you want to play more because it becomes easier. Yeah, it definitely beats open the door. <laughs> so, the um, to back to the uh, to the beginning of your career with the Oilers, if you want to just touch on a little bit about how that. I mean, that was a dynasty with Gretzky and Messier and Yager and all the uh, Yammer. No, not Yammer. Not Yager. Sorry, Yager's Yager Curry. Yager Curry. You know, just some really talented people that you face every day in practice. And I mean, did that help you develop as a as a goalie, seeing those guys in practice every day? Oh, definitely. I mean, anytime you get to practice with the guys, you have probably six of the best players in the world at the time. I mean, if you're going to go against them every day, they want to score. You want to stop them. You can't help but get better. It's either you get better or you get embarrassed. So that was the fun <laughs> of practice. What was it like having Gretzky on your team? Was he was he kind of quiet there in his first couple of years? He sat in the, you know sat in the corner of the locker room, or was he kind of vocal? Or for the listeners, how was Gretzky when he first uh, came out in the NHL? Yeah, Gretzky was kind of our quiet leader. I mean, he didn't have to say a whole lot. He led by what he did on the ice where we had Mess. Mess was kind of more the vocal guy. But we were we were very fortunate. We had two great leaders on our team, both in different ways. We also had Lee Fogelin at that time, who was a great leader. So, I mean, we had a lot of leadership and a lot of young guys that were willing to follow. Yeah, they had Gretzky saying that you were one of the best goalies ever. So, you I think know, he said the best. Gretzky, the I think best, he said yeah. the best. Yeah, let's be clear. That doesn't hurt. I mean, it's, it's nice for your ego, if nothing else. So, I don't, know, yeah. I don't know if we're the best ever, but to be thrown in that mix is always nice. Definitely, definitely one of the best, if not the best. I mean, Grant, when I was a kid, we used to, I mean, we played, this is a small hockey community where I live in, close yeah. to the Canadian border, and we played a hell of a lot of street hockey growing up. And I can remember when I would put on those, you know, plastic Milex street hockey pads back in the day to play goalie if I drew the short straw. 
I would I always <laughs> pretended I was Grant Fuhr back in those days, and I it's that, that's why it's very surreal to even be talking to you right yeah, now. It's so no it's no joke. Just, you know, we're not making. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. We all played yeah. and grew up, grew up uh, on the street, on the ponds, um, you know, and just imagining we were you, we were Gretzky, we were Messi. It's it's just surreal right now. Watching Hockey Net in Canada. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, Grant, just to get in, I know you probably get talked or asked this question quite a bit, uh, you know, being one of the only black players in the NHL back in the day, they obviously have more today in, in the league, but did you have any – things that you had to overcome as far as what you experienced. I know I've heard in Canada, it wasn't as big, big a deal as it was in the States. And um, was there anything that you had to deal with, with fans or anything like that, or other players that you played against? Um, you know, any kind of prejudice? My first, my first 10 years, no. I mean, playing in Canada, wearing a mask obviously makes a difference. <laughs> Everything, they treated you as a player first and foremost. So I think that was the biggest thing. It wasn't until I got traded to Buffalo where you got a little bit of it. But by at that time, I'd already been in the league for 12 or 13 years, so it really didn't make that big of a difference. I'd gone through enough things and been mature enough that it didn't really make that big a difference. But it, it was an eye-opener to see that it still existed. In Canada, you wouldn't know it existed. Where you get traded to the U.S., you realize it still exists. And I think it was more of a shock that it still existed in the nineties than anything else. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, you know, there's still some of that's going on today in some today, parts of yeah. our country. Um, it might you know, be, actually might be worse today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's definitely, yeah, my, you know. my nephew actually, Grant was the first, uh, um, black man to play for the USA men's Olympics, uh, this year in South Korea. And, you know, being part of the family, it's not even like a big deal. His other achievement trumped that. Yeah, and that's the great thing about the hockey world. They look at your accomplishments first and foremost. I mean, they want to know if you can play and if you're good. They don't really care whether you're black or white or whatever nationality that you might be. They want to know if you can play. And that's the great thing of our sport. As it should be, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. Always, I'm always the one that, that brings it back to, you know, your youth. And uh, I, I hate to do this, but I'm, I want to do it because I'm just curious. What was it like for you? How, how did you get started in hockey? And what was it like? How, how did you get the fire? And why did you become a goaltender in the first place? First of all, like, <laughs> how did you get the fire, man? I, I'm, I'm, I just love to hear those stories. There's never two uh exact same pass to the nhl so you know i i love well, the behind the scenes story well as a kid my dad played a little bit so i get a chance to watch him play and then all the kids in the neighborhood played and we played in an outdoor rink and the first i think i was about five the first time i went to a tryout for a hockey team and nobody wanted to play goal so the equipment looked kind of cool and you got to play the whole game so i thought that was a neat idea <laughs> come on yeah yeah warm that's the only position I've ever played. So I've no, loved it then. I've loved it all the way through. So when you went to, um, when you got suspended for the season and uh, came back, I believe it was the Blues you came back, right? Nope, when I you came, still in Edmonton. You're still in Edmonton? Okay. I must have read that wrong. Um, so what was that like coming back from, uh, you know, obviously, you know, all the negative comes out and, you know, in the press and the media and all the bullshit you got to listen to. You can't go and play in the games. Is that, was that like a confidence killer for you? I know you came back and played well, but, um, you know, as far as your morale and where you were in life, was that kind of a de depressing state or just stay positive? That was probably the lowest, that's probably the lowest point. I mean, obviously, it's something that you use to get away from the world is to go out and play hockey. So when they take that away from you, it's a low point where it can either break you or it's going to make you better, one or the other. And well, probably for the first two or three weeks, I was a sour individual where I didn't really like anybody or anything. So, but then I also figured out that you go to the gym, you put the time in at some point, it's going to come back again. And then when it comes back, you just have to prove to everybody that you haven't lost everything. And my teammates were great. I mean, I still got to see the guy, but the guys been out of their way to make sure that I still get a chance to see them, hang out with them a bit. So I never really lost touch with the guys and that made a huge difference. Nice. You know, the, the camaraderie with hockey players is something that you don't see 
um, in some other sports. And, you know, as far as my experiences, and it's, it's almost like a family when you're in that locker room with that team. So, you know, that's good to see that they stood behind you and, you know, were there for you for sure. On a positive note, let's um, talk about some Stanley Cups. I mean, I saw some pictures with a bunch of rings on your finger. So, you know, want to touch on like maybe uh, talk to us about what's your favorite, favorite, uh, you know, memory of the Stanley Cup finals or, you know, what you really remember and cherish from those, those games. The fun part is winning never gets old. So, I mean, <laughs> obviously winning the first cup special, but each cup after that special too, because once you've won one, it's harder to win a second. After you've won a second, it's harder to win a third. So the fact that we were successful as much as we were, it just, it gave us a goal to strive for every year. Once you get a taste of winning, you don't want to lose that taste. So we were lucky enough to have good teams, and Glenn brought in the right players at the right times that kept us good and relevant for a long time. Great. Wasn't Glenn a little bit reluctant to dra- to uh, bring you in? That wasn't his first choice. But our head scout <laughs> decided that the two games that Glenn saw me play in junior, I wasn't very good. I think I lost 8-1 and 9-1 or something silly like that. So, And Andy Mogan just come off a fabulous playoff against the Montreal Canadiens. So when I went to Edmonton, I wasn't really sure where I fit in. So it was nice and easy. I figured I'd play, hang out for a couple of weeks, get some experience and go back to junior. Whereas they, Glenn was good enough to give me a fair chance to see if I could actually play or not. They made a good decision. Well, he made the right choice. You still stay in touch with uh, guys from your team in Edmonton? I do. I mean, we, I still see a lot of the guys. I mean, that's the great thing about our team is we've all stayed in touch over the years. So it is like a big family. I mean, we're just a little older family now. Yeah, right. Playing golf. <laughs> Playing golf instead of hockey. When's the last time you put yeah. your pads on here? Well, I retired about four years ago when I got a knee replaced. I figured I should probably <laughs> surrender at that point. But up until then, I still put the pads on. Do you oh, ever skate forward or, or just go? I've never skated forward, but I'm going to attempt it at the Hall of Fame game this year. Oh, uh, it should nice. be entertaining. Wow. Very cool. <laughs> Will you wear How's your goalie skates, or are you going to put on uh, a regular pair of skates? Oh, hell no. I'm wearing goalie skates. <laughs> 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 I'm not out to kill myself, so I'm going to skate in something I know what I'm doing. There you go. <laughs> and wear that mask you wore in your first season. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to fit as a forward, but I'm sure I'll be somewhere, I'll be somewhere near the net. I guarantee you. You might intimidate some people with that thing. <laughs> Arc in front of the net. So I, I did com- see that you do be play. a comfortable spot. <laughs> you do get to play some golf these days, and uh, I guess you have a pretty good handicap from what I see. Is that something you enjoy nowadays in retirement? It is. It is. It's something that lets me be competitive. I think that's the part you miss when you retire is you go to the rink, you're competitive every day in practice, you're competitive every day in games, and then when you retire, all of a sudden that's gone. So golf, you're competitive against the golf course every day. And it gives me something that, one, it keeps me out of trouble. Two, I enjoy it, and I enjoy the competitiveness of it. Yeah, I know that, like you talk about when you um, retire, you lose some of that. And, um, you know, for myself, I, on a much smaller scale, um, I played so professional I lacrosse for a while. Yeah. <laughs> professional indoor lacrosse. You know, I actually played up in Edmonton's rink and some of the other ranks. But when I retired, um, I lost, like, almost my identity and who I was. So, you know. It was like, you know, who am I now? You know, I'm not a hockey player or lacrosse well, player at this point. That's that's the hardest part is you're used to being somewhere, having something to do. And all of a sudden you're on your own schedule and you're not used to that. And it's a hard transition for some guys. I mean, I was lucky enough. I went into coaching right after I retired. So I still get the same routine where I still get up, still went to the rink, still hung out. So I had the same routine. And then I took a couple of years off and then I went right back into coaching again. And it's only been the last, oh, probably four years where I haven't been around the rink and it was it was a nice break away from the rink but I still miss the rink just getting the smell of the rink I always like that <laughs> just walking in the doors and smelling I you know I know I know what you're saying but Grant tonight if you owned a hockey team who would you want as your goalie who would you take if I had to, if I had to start a franchise I'd take Kerry right now yeah. and even though he's gone through a couple of tough years he'd still be my guy what Over is it that you like about Kerry I just think he's got the full package. I mean, he's kind of that hybrid, the modern hybrid, where he can butterfly, he can stand up, he's good being mobile. So he'd be a good place to start. And then I think Roberto Luongo is his backup. So I'd have a perfect pairing. Those are two <laughs> yeah, very good goals. Yeah. 
Yeah, Patrick had, kind of has a hard on for the flower. He likes uh, flurry out and flower. So. Flower had a flower. Flower had a phenomenal year last year. I'm I'm curious. What is your take on uh, Vegas and their success as a uh, you know a, a rookie season for that uh, franchise? And do you think that's something that they could you know repeat? Um, I thought they had a phenomenal year. I mean, if you look at what they drafted, George McPhee did a great job. You take the best third line players from every team in the league. So you're not going to have any real stars, but you're going to have a lot of guys that could have played second line on some teams, but nobody's worse than a third line player. You take a solid defense, you get a great goalie and you have everybody buy into the system of nobody wanted you. <laughs> so every, Grinders. So everybody, they're all yeah, hard workers. Yeah. Coach, well, you know what it is. Gerard Gallant played that same way when he played. So they've got a system that they all bought into and everything. But the hardest part this year is now they don't have that. It's not that everybody didn't want you now. Now you've got to find a new reason. Uh, that's so true. I think it's going to be a little bit harder for them this year. Plus, they're not going to surprise anybody this year. Yeah, that's true. So it's going to make it a lot harder. Going from the underdog to the uh, one of the top teams in the league. So, And if you look at everybody in the West, everybody in the West got better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same. Carlson trade this week. Well, I was just gonna. I was curious. I know because I've 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 read some stuff too, Grant, about kind of your impression of the modern modern NHL and modern hockey in general. And we've we've debated this a little bit on this show. And it, what are your impressions of you know kids kind of going to the you know playing hockey twelve months a year and getting away from other sports? I mean, all of us here grew up playing, multiple. you know, multiple multiple sports, and I think that's I think that's really really important. And I, it concerns me a little bit. You know, some of us have some differing views on this here, but it, it concerns me that it's gotten away from that kind of style of, of growing up and letting kids kind of get in, um, get away from the game of hockey, you know, for a few months a year and doing something else. What, what's your take? I have to agree with you. I mean, a multi-sport athlete is going to be a better athlete because you're going to be more rounded. I mean, I never played hockey 12 months a year. I played hockey. I played baseball. I played a little bit of football along the way. But the all I played baseball right up until about my third or fourth year pro. So it's it's nice to get away and give your mind a break. I mean, I think what you're seeing is a lot of the kids get that burnout factor where they fall out of love with the game. And you get some guys that are good players, but they quit because they're burnt out. And it's just a hard grind to try and play 12 months of the year. You have to give your body a break. And you have more importantly, you have to give your mind a break. Absolutely, especially when these kids are young, you know, and they got to also enjoy their life a bit and play some other stuff and develop some other, I mean, each sport's going to develop a different, a different set of skills too. So uh, I'm with you. Well, I think, <laughs> it's, good, it's good for your, it's good for your mind. And some of yeah. it's transferable. I think, uh, you know, you, you learn a different move. And for me, I played lacrosse and football when I wasn't playing hockey, but you know, you learn a pick and roll or you learn how to, you know, do something in another sport and you might be able to use yeah, that. Learn. The next year, when you're you're thinking about you know flying down the, the you know the the boards and you know I, I just think that you're like you said it makes you a better rounded hockey player or what, whichever well, you learn different body you learn different body controls I mean it just makes you more of a complete athlete. Every year it gets more expensive it seems for kids to play. And that's the thing we talk about all all the time is like you know it sticks three hundred bucks skates are. You know, seven hundred, a thousand bucks. You know, so some of the less fortunate kids out there don't even get a chance to to lace them up. You know, because their parents can't afford it. So a lot of kids miss out on it. And that's the unfortunate part. You want every kid to have a chance to play. I mean, I think the NHL started to put together some good programs now where kids are getting that opportunity to play, and you want every kid to have that chance. It's it's uh, kind of a shame. I think there's some programs out there now to. Uh, even in uh, Brooklyn, they're starting some programs to get some inner city kids and down in Washington, D.C., um, you know, starting to get some of these kids from the bad neighborhoods to actually get out and play and fundraise for them. So that's good to see. You know, Grant, if, if you don't mind me asking, I, I hate to change the topic, but I, I, I think I myself I've been skirting around this this issue. And I'm, I'm so curious because. To me, your your story just smacks me in the face. Now, I, I never was even close to the NHL. I, I like to think that I probably, you know, I might have could have, but the reality is, <laughs> it's not true. Here we go. Men's league. 
I, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, look, I, I played a lot of hockey. When I stopped, it was because I decided that partying and, I, you know, I had my own substance abuse problems. And, and to me, I turned away from the sport that I love. And I'm, I'm just curious about the human side there. You know, what, what is it that you would share uh, about that part, you know, that part of your life? You're, you're a human. We, we go through, we have our own experiences. You were an amazing hockey player, but uh, uh, talk to, you know, at least me or your fans uh, about the human part of things. And, you know, it's, the, it, it, I think the perception is, you know, you, you win Stanley Cups and everything looks great. But sometimes things are bubbling on the inside, and you know I hate to be the asshole that asks the question, but you know, can you share a little bit uh, about that part? What what would what can you share about that? Oh, part of it's life. I mean, absolutely. Growing up in the '80s, the partying was always around. So a lot of it, some of the people you hang out with, you're always going to be presented with different options. At 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, you've turned pro. You, I didn't even finish high school. I left high school to play junior hockey you don't get handed a manual of life saying hey this is the way it's supposed to go so you have to live your life sometimes you make choices and go down a road that at the time you don't think it's a big deal now you've got yourself in trouble well now you're not sure how to get out of that trouble so it gets worse and you dig yourself a hole till you finally figure out that hey life has consequences now you've got to find your way out of that hole so it it's the hard side of life I mean, I, my parents always taught me, you have to live your life to learn. You're not going to learn your life in a classroom. You'll learn some valuable things in a classroom, but you don't learn how to live life. And there's no manual for it. So you're going to make some missteps along the way. In my case, yeah, I made some missteps that weren't very good. I chose to do some things that I probably should have never done. But at the same time, I've learned from making the mistakes. And when I talk to kids now, I can tell them, yeah, you can make those mistakes. But you also have to find a way to make a positive stride on the other side of it, better learn from it. or it's going to bury your life. And that's a lot, of, a lot of the times people let it bury their life instead of trying to find a positive route. Where I was fortunate enough to be playing hockey at the time, I had a positive side I could turn to every day. Well, for, you know, for yeah, and, me, I'm just going to, you know, I, I, I'd like to continue this conversation. For me, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to get myself out of that substance cycle. And, you know, it was harder when I had, I turned my back on the sport I loved. And for me, that was my low point. And I, 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 it took me almost a decade to get out of that, that cycle. Uh, you seem to get out a lot faster. So, you know, I, again, a little more in the line, maybe. There, there's important. Yeah, I also was lucky. Well, there's still. I was lucky. I had hockey to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. There's important life lessons here, I think, for many people out, you know, whether you're in the sport or outside the sport, this is a human experience. And, you know, the fact that you have the pedestal, and I just think we're learning a lot from you. So you know, thank you for, for sharing anything you can. No, oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, the biggest thing you can have is friends. You have to have good friends. And yeah. for me, I, some of the people I grew up with are still around. I've got a great group of friends, but I also had 20 friends in a dressing room every day that were there to support you. So even when things were bad, there was still a good side that I could turn to and go to. And I got to do that every day. And so like you said, that, that made it easier for me. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. 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 Sure. And we, we touched on it um, before and, uh, you know, some people don't understand like, okay, back in the eighties, you're playing for, you know, at the highest level of hockey and you got thousands of fans every day or, you know, every game day cheering you on. And then on your downtime and after the game, the guys are all going out partying. And that, you know, that's what happens. Hockey players, you know, they like to have their beers and they like to have fun and chase women and do all that good stuff. And, you know, that's yeah, the rock star. That are put in front of you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You're living, a, you're living a rock star life. But people don't treat you like rock stars. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No, is you fine. have a standard, and the rock stars don't. But you're still out there being <laughs> like a rock star. Can you exactly. talk a little bit about that? Here's or? the case scenario. Yeah. My first year, at 18 years old, 
I got to go to the last year of Studio 54. Okay. Oh, so how many 18 year olds wandered through there? Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. I wouldn't be here. A lot of things that are presented in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And wow. it's and in that situation, everybody's doing it and it's OK. And, you know, but that's as a young kid, you don't understand the consequences and the addiction that comes with it. And, uh, you know, you can go down that road quickly. So we appreciate you sharing some of that stuff with us for sure. Absolutely. Um, just that I'd like to just, uh, you know, before we wrap it up here, just give us a little bit of information about making cocoa and where people can find it, where they can go see it, where we can pick it up, buy it. And um, we want all our listeners, we're going to promote this like crazy. So yeah. um, just give yeah, us some like. info. Well, basically, it's the story of my life. So the good, the bad, the ugly, the fun stuff, it, we kind of cover it all. So it was it was fun to live my sec my life a second time. I think that's the great thing. So I knew at the end of the story ends. Um, so that part of it's good. But it also shows that it's all not a bed of roses either. And that was the fun part. And, We've got uh, Premier in Calgary coming up here at the end of the month. Then we'll be in Edmonton the middle of next month. And then I believe sometime early in the new year, it's going to come out on iTunes. It'll come out. They're, work, they're working on a deal with Netflix right now. And they're working on a deal with Video On Demand. And I also believe we're going to try and do a premiere out in St. Louis. So wow. lots going on in the next little bit. St. Louis. That's great. Yeah, so. let, let me ask you. We've been talking about St. Louis too. As of right now, St. Louis is a freaking hockey hotbed. What What do you? I mean, do you have any thoughts on St. Louis and how come? Uh, you know, right now there are what uh, four or five different NHL players uh, from St. Louis. Bunch of ex, bunch of ex NHLers making babies out there, man. Yeah, I think so. But. <laughs> Actually, I I like St. Louis. I thought it was a great city. What it, What it reminded me of was a a big Canadian city. Everybody, even though they had all the major sports, except for basketball when I was there, hockey was still kind of first and foremost. I mean, the Cardinals have their diehard. The Rams, yes and no at that time. But the Blues have a diehard faithful, which when I first got traded or signed there, really surprised me what a big hockey fan base they have. But they are definitely diehards. Nice. Well, yeah, especially coming fans, from the Canadian cities. I think hockey fans in general are just, you know, they're, they're that – they're diehards. There's no other way to do oh, it. I agree. I think hockey fans. They're the greatest fans around. Yeah. Yep. Keith Kachuk and some of the boys out there have put together some pretty good uh, minor hockey programs, and they've developed um, the draft the last couple of years. They've had um, a number of high draft picks coming out of their – what was it? What was it, the year they were born, Pat? You know. 97, 98. 97, 98. Yeah, he had a lot of St. Louis kids coming out yep. in the draft, that's, so that's pretty good. Hockey town now. Yep. Well, Grant, it's been a pleasure, and we really uh, appreciate you coming on. And you know, we're going to push a movie for you. And uh, I still haven't got my invite to the premiere in Calgary, but I'll just check the mail tomorrow. Yeah, and, uh, we'll probably be there. So, <laughs> well, fellas, any last questions for Grant before we let him go? Uh, uh, thank you, thank you, Grant. Yeah, thank you. And um, uh, as a kid that grew up watching you, man, it's just like a dream come true. So. We're all, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It's, it's been a pleasure, man. We're all extremely honored, Grant, to have you on and to share your story, uh, to say the very minimum. Sure. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's all been right. great. Good luck with everything. Hopefully the golf game's uh, kicking off for you down in, in Palm Springs, and hopefully maybe uh, we'll get you on again sometime. I'd love to. Have a good night. Right. Thank you so much, sir. Take care, care guys. All right, My pleasure. Yes, bye for now. Bye-bye. Grant Pierre, Hall of wow. Famer with us on the Blue Line tonight. Uh, you know, definitely a great podcast for us. It was good to hear not about big, his life. No, no big deal. I'm really not even sure what to even say right now, except for just wow. Um, wow. I drank too much vodka. I forgot most of it. <laughs> <laughs> So good story there for sure. Um, you know, got to learn a little bit about Grant that we didn't know. Obviously, uh, we were all 98, 97, graduate 96, somewhere in there, all of us as far as high school goes. So he was a big part of our life when we were watching Hockey Night in Canada and uh, catching him on the Oilers. So, you know, it's kind of a blast from the past for us to have him on. And, you know, it's kind of nice. We talk a lot about 
the current players and we interview a lot of the young players getting into the league now, but it's nice to go back to uh, the throwback for us, for the legends we got to watch when we were kids. So it's nice to bring some of these Hall of Famers on the show and get to learn a little bit about their life, their path, and their experiences in the NHL because, you know, we just saw it from him in the net between the pipes and, you know, doing his thing. And we didn't really know anything about the background. I, you know, I don't remember anything as a kid hearing about his issues or his suspension or his substance abuse problems. I mean, no. as a kid, you don't, you don't listen to the news. You don't listen to the media bullshit. So, you know, we just, you know, for us, I mean, for me anyway, you know, I just knew him as a, one of the great goaltenders. As you guys agree with that? The legend, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I tried to make this point earlier. You know, as fans, we're watching these stars, and you just think that life is just perfect. And, you know, rarely is that, you know, true. It's um, never true. Everybody but... has something going on in their life. But the fact that he was able to, you know, adapt and overcome and then rebuild his career not only rebuild his career, but, I mean, fuck, he was nasty when he got to the Blues. Uh, well, when he got back in, you know, it's not like he just recovered his career. He was still insane between the pipes. I Playing mean, at a real high level, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think the other, thing that, the other thing that comes out of this interview, too, is, like, this recurring theme. Like, here's a guy, five Stanley Cup rings, right? And the recurring thing of, of all these guys that we keep talking to is they're all humble, man. Hockey players, no matter what level, you know, you're kind of like Eddie Eddie's, man. They're all just uh, humble guys. And it's just so neat to, I mean, especially in, you get a guy like Grant Fjord or like, you know, like when we were talking to Kerry Frazier, these are guys that we just watched Hockey Night in Canada, Hockey Night in Canada, like these, these idols of ours growing up. So it's like, I don't know, it's just so neat to to see that they're just down to earth people, just like I mean, you and I. I mean, I almost I almost spit my beer out. You know, I'm a Sabres fan, and you know we're we're talking about race and ethnicity in in the NHL. And he says, you know, he was shocked when he got to Buffalo, and I'm thinking, fuck, I guess I can't tell him I'm a Sabres fan. <laughs> but I never, you know, I didn't experience that. You know, I. I I'm, I'm sure that it existed. I, I don't deny that at all. But at least when I sat in front of the, the TV and that dude was in the pipes for the Sabres, man, I mean, I was uh, 150,000% behind him. Not 100%. I was completely behind him. Um, I'm just a huge, huge fan. I'm still starstruck, so. And we're still breaking these bears today. Um, you know, Pat talked about Jordan Greenway playing in the Olympics for the the first time the black guys played in the Olympics. So, yeah. you know, this this uh, stigma and this scenario of a uh, black guy playing in the NHL or the Olympics or, or you know, that's just still happening. And, you know, some of the, like you talk about, certain areas of the United States, we still have a lot of racism and um, it hasn't really got any better than it may be worse, some people would, would say. So, you know, this issue in the 80s or you know, whenever you want to talk about it, it's still happening um, 40 years later. Well, so. he said 90s and, you know, 2000s and 2018. So. Yeah, I'm sure there's still people out there today still yeah. have issues with it. So it's good to see, um, you know, there's there's a decent amount of uh, black players now in the NHL. So it looks like, you know, they're getting more opportunities, opportunities to play, um, you know, different neighborhoods or have hockey now and, yeah, it's good stuff. Not to get off the topic of Grant Fierre, but um, Carlson's in uh, San Jose. Wow! Finally, Just, wow! Finally. I mean, we. I, I mean, personally, no one thought that, eh? Not San Jose. I knew he was not going back to Ottawa, but not San Jose. That was a blindside. I mean, well, they're pretty stacked on D now. They got two oh. offensive uh, powers on their on their point, so. Top be two nasty. in the league. Yeah, top yeah. two in the league, man. It's going to be one crazy uh, West Coast out there. I mean, I've been following Minnesota for, you know, obvious reasons, but uh, they don't stand a chance. I mean, they're going to have to 
get the bounces every night to uh, compete. I mean, look at Calgary. Calgary's on fire. They're getting that young core. San Jose's got two of the best offensive defensemen in the league, Brett Burns and Carlson. It's going to well, be crazy. Calgary I'm glad Rob's uh, – Matthew Kachuk out of St. Louis. So that's one of the St. Louis boys we were just talking about, Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. Yeah. You got Thornton at forward too up in San Jose too. So yeah, I mean yeah, it's uh, Thornton, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're pretty stacked up there now. That's uh I don't think they're I don't I'm not sure you could quite say just because they had Carlson that they're gonna but I mean they maybe they maybe they will, maybe they won't, but uh, I know there was something in the stack. There was something in the in the trade that if they win the cup this year, they get like a first round pick. If they make the playoffs, they get a second round pick or something like that. So it was like an incentive for if the if the Sharks do really well, the Senators get better picks. Did you guys yeah. see that? Yeah, yeah, that's how it worked out. <clears throat> Makes sense. I mean, to me, they got a pile of fucking pucks for the trade for Carlson. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I don't think Ottawa made out at all. So that makes sense if they do well and. I'm assuming they're assuming that they're going to go well into the playoffs, if not the finals, and uh, get those first-round picks. So uh, it was kind of smart on their uh, on their half. I mean, they've been making big moves out there. Vander Kane last year they picked up from Buffalo. They got Joe Thornton. He's kind of on the end of his uh, career. Yeah. But uh, Coach is a baller. Yeah, he is. And then they got the goalie, um, Martin Jones. So. Yeah, and there's another thing that came out about Carlson's uh, contract and whether he would sign. There's something if he waits, he has to wait to February to sign like an eight-year deal. But if he signs now, I think he can only sign up to a seven-year or less. So they're talking about what he'll sign, when he'll sign, if he'll hold out and sign for a eight-year contract, or which I can't see him doing that. I'm, can I'm you? trying to think. Well. February 24th or something like that? What I'm thinking about is, uh, what the hell is Ottawa thinking? You know, (laughs) they get rid of Carlson, and now the fucking wheels are falling off. Everybody's jumping ship. Well, not everybody, but... Mark Stone wants to leave now. Yeah, Stone's out. Yeah, he wants to leave. He came out. Well, I don't know if he said it, but the rumors are out that Mark Stone wants to leave. A winger up there in, in Sens country. He was, uh, I think, the second second points getter on the team. Him and Carlson were the top two. So Carlson leaves. He sees the writing on the wall, and he's. I'm sure he's thinking, well, why do I want to stay here? We're going to suck. We're in the you know? rebuilding season here. Well, yeah, it's either a youth movement or, you know, there's been rumors, you know, out there that I think Ottawa, you know, potentially you know, moving that franchise too. So, I mean, it's, it's one of the two probably it's either a youth movement or, or, or there's something going on behind the scenes that, or they're selling off. Not, not everybody knows about yet. Yeah. Liquidation. Who wants to play in a rink where they have to close off the upper tier to make it seem full? You know, yeah. I mean, as I think that's happening though in Ottawa, I mean, how the hell is that happening? Just because of the product on the ice, I guess. But I mean, you think the fans up there would, would fight for that team. Yeah, there you go. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, that city, it's well, an awesome city. Listen, I mean, they let the awesome Quebec Nordiques go. They let the Quebec Nordiques go. I, I have no idea why they would have done that. But the Nordiques are gone. So what's the difference? You know, I mean, it's not, I mean, Quebec and Ottawa. I mean, it's the capital, Ontario it's the capital of fucking Canada, though. I mean, they can't support a hockey team. I, I don't understand. But I don't know. I guess there's more, probably more to it than any of us can, can comprehend or know. So Yeah, sure. Yeah. We're talking about moving the rink downtown instead of instead of out. The corral where it is now. Yeah, trying to get it back down in the city. People could take trains, don't have to drink and drive, kind of shit, probably. Yeah, that's probably not a bad idea. I mean, and that's fair. Those are all fair arguments for sure, you know, as to why to move it. If people are coming, they need to be safe because if they die when they leave, they can't come back and spend more money. So. Valid, valid. Valid. Yeah, yeah. See, that's valid. They probably won't be back. Good job on that one, Pete. I mean, it's just it's easier. Most to state the 
most <laughs> NHL rinks, you can take a subway or, you know, uh, Uber or something. But, I mean, you can take an Uber into Canada, but it's a distance. But I think it's that wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, definitely going to cost some money to move it downtown. Somebody's got it. We'll switch gears. You want to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, the game in uh, Lucan? Spell that, say that right, Lucan, Ontario. They had the Hockeyville game there. John T playing, um, Austin Matthews, John T. Um, JT had two goals, pretty sick goals, you know, right at it in Toronto. Looks like he's fitting in pretty well. I guess Austin Matthews came out and was talking about how well he thought he played. And I also saw something about how, I think when you guys sent it to me about how Austin Matthews reached out to JT when he was looking for a place to play, and that was a big that was me. I got to tell you, when I when I was watching that, the respect that I saw between the two of those guys. I mean, look, these two are, are, are massive studs in the NHL world, and it could have been easy for an Austin Matthews to say, "Well, you know, I'm not really interested in bringing in another horse that's going to take away, you know, from from my sunshine." But um, to sit there and to, to watch that interview and to hear the respect that Tavares have, has for Matthews and, you know, vice versa, Matthews for Tavares. I mean, look, these guys are stand-up players, but to see them on the same, you know, same page, working on the same goal, these guys are pulling the sled as hard as they fucking can together. And they both yeah. are on the same page. So, Toronto is going to be a force this year just by adding Tavares. I mean, clearly, Tavares goes anywhere. Shit's going to change. But I think the dynamics in Toronto, Austin Matthews is right. Toronto has got to be the best fucking hockey city to play for. Those fans are fucking bar none to anybody. You know, they're there every night, whether they win or lose. The place is probably packed every year, no matter how they do in the season. But to bring a local boy home, you know, I, I don't I, I don't normally watch Toronto, but I will be watching Toronto this year. So Rob, I just went out and grabbed a beer out of the garage. Did you talk that whole fucking time? The whole time. He did. Yep. Uh, I just, <laughs> holy shit. So the, so the first first two lines in Toronto, Patrick Marlowe, John Tavares, Mitch Marner. Second line, you got Austin Matthews centering – William Nylander and Zach Hyman. Um, and then you got Nasman Hyman. Yep. So, I mean, Toronto's going to be nasty this year. I can't wait. I can't wait. And just seeing Tavares score those two goals in this uh, hockey day in Canada was uh, when I saw his first goal, he kind of was down. He stayed back in the play, and the puck actually came to him. Uh, with his patience, he got the puck wide open in front of the net and just fucking roofed it. It was like, holy shit. These guys are going to be good. <laughs> yeah. That poor, goal, that poor goalie trying to make the squad just gets schooled oh, twice uh, by JT. He that must sucked, be man. like, fuck, I'm going to back to the, you know, <laughs> not even the AHL. I'm going to the ECHL or, or something. I heard Babcock is a dick and that people don't like playing for him. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but I heard that there's a lot of players that play for him don't care for him at all. Yeah, I've kind of heard a few things. He's just very, very strict, almost a Bill Belichick of the NHL. Yeah, he's got results everywhere he goes, though. So Yeah, I mean, how long has he been in Toronto? Well, he was I mean, in Colorado before this stint. But, um, yeah, he tried. I won't mention any names. I just heard from a couple players that couldn't stand playing for him. So just throwing it out there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. No, he's – but he – I mean, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going to hear that uh, regardless from guys that – you know, ultra-successful coaches are always going to have guys that probably didn't agree with them along the way, but winning cures a lot of that stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan of coaches that are that are silent. They're strict. You know, it's a Randy Brandy Brown kind of guy. I like that for me. It was good for me, but I, I appreciate that. He is a, a guy that expects a lot, and he gets results for it, you know. And there are Instead guys that talk a lot and, you know, don't ever fucking get any. 
I, I uh, just appreciate the guys that are quiet and get the job done versus the loud mouths that don't fucking do it. It was nice to get a little bit of hockey back in our lives, fellas. I'm sure everybody got a little preseason action in the last couple of days. Um, we did have the Bruins come on top of the uh, Asian Stanley Cup or whatever you want to call it over there in a China. A Asian Persuasion Cup. Oh, that's what it was? Yeah, the Asian Persuasion Cup. Everybody got a massage after the game. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag rub and tugs. <laughs> <laughs> Robin well, they got, so that was that was worth a trip right there. So we're gonna have to ask we're gonna have to ask Mac about that one. <laughs> oh man! Anybody want to talk about any of the games? Um, I know I saw some of the Rangers game the other day. Um, it's tough to you know judge how the teams are playing right now. There's a lot of young guys in the in the lineup still. I mean the the the. Uh, Veterans are in the lineup too, but still the goalies aren't the goalies that are usually in the game and stuff like that. So it's hard to say how a team's really playing, but the Bruins are undefeated, Sully. So hey, they're doing pretty well. Quinter lost lost his first preseason game. I was kind of rooting for Quinter to win, but uh, I'll tell you what, the Rangers got that Anderson kid. He scored a goal. It was a highlight reel. I, th I think you'll see him in a uniform this year. He did really well. I don't know if anyone saw that. Yep, and it's saw that. Who's the lapping? Yeah, uh, you can. Yeah, I can. You guys can. Yo, okay, okay. So, did you see the lapping kid for uh, the Devils? He played. He played pretty well. I was wondering if he was related to the Lappins from St. Lawrence era. Pete Lappin. Peter and Pete Lappin. Those guys. Circa were the, 1995. Uh, those guys were the Hanson brothers of the St. Lawrence uh, Saints. <laughs> they beat some. They beat I, someone down at Rite Aid there in Canton with a baseball bat. Took their beer, pizza roll. took a pizza roll out of his hand or something. That'll do it. That'll do it. Don't ever I steal some pizza roll. I, I got in a fight over in the morning. Pizza. The fucking machine took my quarter, eh? <laughs> All right, guys. We have a bunch of preseason hockey coming up, so it's uh, finally, finally interesting to turn on the NHL Network and see a game on and not highlights from a year ago and hockey talk about the same shit you've listened to for the last four months so it's a nice change of pace for sure yeah definitely get out and watch um the making of coco uh i guess we can't say enough about having grant fear on tonight it's kind of surreal for all of us at blue line hockey club yeah and you can check out the trailer for making coco online just google that and uh you can see a little clip like a two and a half minute clip of the trailer of that we're and get a little taste of what it's about. Yeah, looks awesome. I'm going to put up a link uh, for, of the YouTube trailer for everybody that comes to our site. They'll, they'll be able to get access to it from there, probably. All right, so get on Blue Line Hockey Club and check that out. In the next couple of days, we should have that up. And uh, for the listeners that like to check us out on Facebook, get on there and write us a message. Who do you want us to interview? Who would you like to see? Maybe another. Uh, Hall of Famer that's retired or maybe a young buck that's out there in the NHL and we'll try to get him on. So check us out on Facebook. Write us a message. We'll get right back to you. We're also on Twitter. Get on Twitter. Check us out there too. And uh, BlueLineHockeyClub.com has all of our podcasts for the last 26 episodes. So get on there and check us out and like us on Facebook. Until next time, folks, keep your stick on the ice. See ya! Keep your head up. Sweet yeah.